everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. On today's episode, it is my pleasure to welcome my guest, Rebecca Lamb. Hey, Rebecca, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Blair? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for meeting me today. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about what I do, and thank you for reaching out to me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So without, like, too much like uh, no actually I just want to get into it um and I feel like your background today kind of gives a gives it away a little bit what what you might do um but yeah (laughs) and like the happiest place on earth I'm so I have so many questions honestly but um uh yeah Rebecca what do you do for a living so my my job currently is a theme park project manager what that means is my current division, anytime anything is installed within the park or changed or renewed, um, my, my division and my department essentially is manages the budget, the quality and the schedule for the entire effort. Um, for one huge example is that my, my direct leader, she was the project manager who was in charge of recently retheming Cinderella's castle for the 50th celebration. So she had to go through and paint it, talk with all the uh, decorators, um, get the whole vision and make sure it gets in there safely and soundly because um, that's, and it's crazy that that's someone who I can learn from because we are celebrating, about to celebrate Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary in October and fit from, we're, I'm able to celebrate and work on that project to celebrate the 50 years that Walt Disney World has been here, which is going to be an amazing celebration and really um, historic. And I'm just very honored to do so. That is crazy. I'm like getting the chills even when you're talking about it. I mean, who doesn't get excited hearing about Disney World? And I will say, Rebecca, because I have two kids now, it just means that much more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're welcome to come down and visit anytime, Blair. Yes, yes, yes. Well, actually, we were just there um, in April uh, during COVID, what I like to call COVID Disney. And I will say, Rebecca, it was amazing. Like, COVID Disney was awesome. I have never felt safer. Like, and also they did such a great job with just directing people. Um, for me personally, like, the capacity that it was at, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. It was like perfect. Um, it was just for it was just a perfect trip. And I wanted to ask you before we get jump uh, deeper into like the specifics of your job. Um, like, did you have to deal with how to restructure everything when the pandemic hit? Um, I wasn't part of that effort, unfortunately. Um, so during that effort, um, there was a huge, you know, with, with everything going on, I was lucky enough to be one of the few people called back later on. Um, but, you know, just a little bit furloughed for a time frame. But coming back, I was able to, you know, respond to projects that were picking up. And but our, our, our group would be that group that would do something like that. Mm. So um, they had they installed all of the signage systems, got the signage produced, uh, fabricated, put into place all of the plexiglass that got put in between the ride vehicle systems, between the queue lines, so that way guests aren't breathing on each other. Um, Things like that are very essential. And, you know, when something like that happens, you keep on people that can help you jump into place. And projects that I were working on would be impacted like that. For example, I had one um, before before, um, that break time period, I left 
and um, there was a photo opportunity that we were installing at Disney's Animal Kingdom that had, you know, um, a certain setup and they were saying, oh, originally the line was going to flow this way. Now with COVID installation, we had to think if the line's going to flow this far back, is it going to run into the Expedition Everest line? Are we going to restrict guest flow here? Are we going to run into in front of a tip board or something where we don't want people standing in front of things that you want for them to look at eventually or be confused about which line they are in? So things like that definitely impacted um, locations. Um, when I'm putting props into the parks, um, for example, at Hollywood Studios, the entire like half of um, the plaza area in the middle of Hollywood Studios was just the line for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, right. which was which was crazy because normally that would all be contained within one building or at least one external queue area instead of this entire spread out plaza area. So you have to think very quick and adjust to what's going on in the park. Um, whether it's hours, whether it's rain, whether it's um, shows get announced, things like that happen all the time. So you have to be very quick on your feet. Yeah, that's crazy to me that you guys have to strategize that quickly. So um, I don't know how to ask this question exactly, Rebecca, but um, I guess what I'm what comes to mind and what I'm thinking is you you told me you have to think on your feet, do things quickly, adjust so to accommodate guests. But how does the process for that strategy to be like implicated into the parks even like begin like the genesis of that so um very like at a very high level way higher up than me um you know it it can start two ways they from a creative it can start from a creative standpoint or a um, need standpoint and from a creative standpoint you know you you say i want to do this, let's just take painting the castle, for example. I want to paint the castle for the 50th celebration. And I wasn't actually part of many of those conversations, but this is the process that we would potentially go through. And so, you know, you you say you want to do this to the castle, you create, you are in a blue sky phase with um, Walt Disney Imagineering and you say, this is a vision that we want to do. This is a story that we want to do because the story is really at the heart of everything that we do at Walt Disney World. If it doesn't fit the storyline, then there's not a very good reason to do so. And so um, once you get that concept down, say, I want it to be these colors, I want it to evoke, um, you know, Cinderella's, um, you know, this piece of concept art way back that Mary Blair made that had these purples, that has these blues, that has this feel. And then you get to the nitty gritty of it saying, okay, I need to paint the castle. I need to create um, these decorations that go on it. What's right currently the castle has not only um, jabots um, and just like drapery that is on it, but also you know uh, floating ribbons that look like they entwine the spires of the castle. And so all of that has to be one um, come come at from a creative standpoint. Then two you get these ideas on paper, you get them on drawings by the structural engineer, you get them on drawings by um, the props team. And you really just think about how do we create this? And um, you hold up swatches next to the castle. And and many of the art directors that we speak with, they say that when they do art swatches, it's it's such an intense process of choosing that, those paint colors. Um, They even say that John Hench, who was one of the original Disney Imagineers would come out and have a swatch and have to see it in multiple lights. You know, you have it in the sunlight, um, in the morning light and in the afternoon light. And sometimes you see a green hue on it because there's trees all around you. So 
they take all of those factors into account to see how the light plays off of everything. And um, these paint people, they know the science of how everything goes together, um, how, how well they adhere to the castle. And not only does it go to look good day one, will it look good for the next two years? Because that's how long the celebration lasts. Or will it look good for the next 100 years? Because we expect for Disney World to be around forever, you know? Um, not to say that we'll, we'll still do touch-ups, but um, you really have to think about longevity and all of our people are very good at doing so. So once you get into the design phase, you have everything on a drawing, you go into a permit phase. And so a lot of what we do is very construction based. So you go get a permit from our local governing body um, to install these things because Disney um, is very, very focused on safety overall. Mm. So safety is at the heart of everything that we do. If it's safe for guests, if it's safe for the people who are working on it. So we put up those plans. We make project plans, saying um, safety plans, take, a, take samples from the castle to make sure it's okay to paint. And we're not, and from a chemical standpoint, um, we do exploratory looks on the roof. So you can see exactly where everything's going to be put. Um, you, you know, by the end of a project, you are just so familiar with how every little bit is going to be going on. And so once you get into permit, everyone says, okay, we're good. Then you get into the quick and hard part, which is construction. Um, so you have to bring out lifts. You have to plan out where you're going to put the lifts. You have to drain the moat to do something like the, off the scale um, and to drain the moat, you know, every little thing at Walt Disney World has a guest impact. Everything is about right. the guest. And, and so um, to do something like that is not a light decision because now you are changing the storyline and how guests perceive that a bit. So you have to go around and get permissions from everyone to do so. Um, I think one awesome thing about Disney World is it's very, very relationship-based. Everything is about people. And that's how the world is a little bit. You know, you you know people and get to know people and what they bring to the table and how they operate. And so you have to talk to like 20 to 30 different people at the same time to make sure everyone is okay. It's a very collaborative organization. So horticulture has to be okay that you are in the in their way of using their boat. You know, if you're going to close off the moat, you have to talk to the um, marketing people because it's, it's going to be on the blog somewhere. You have to talk with the park owners who who are um, the operations staff to make sure that they feel okay and they're giving out the correct information. Um, so just getting that, so throughout the construction process, you work on it, you bring in the equipment needed and you have to talk to everyone constantly at one time. That's what project management is. I feel like I'm constantly like the brain sending out signals saying you're not, you're sitting there, you're not moving the legs, you're not moving the arms, but you're just um, sending out little neuron bits at a time yes okay so I mean everything I'm like totally fascinated by everything you just said because I you know when you think of Disney World you think of it's a magical place and then how does all of the things come together to make things like this happen I mean like you guys are creating worlds you know, like within Disney World. And I to hear you kind of go through these processes of how one even like using the castle, for example, um, that process even begins and how many things 
it needs to go through to get to the final point to where it goes. So your job, you said you're is to as a manager, project manager, is to kind of talk to all these people during this process. So does that mean you're kind of exactly what your uh, title is, I guess, is like um, making sure everyone's job gets done? Or could you elaborate on that a little bit? Like your yes, job specifically? Most definitely. So um, at, at a base level, um, it's a planner. So I actually just got married this past year and um, I had the ability to change my wedding plans about three times throughout the pandemic. Right. Um, <laughs> Congratulations, and, by the way. <laughs> thank you. It was it was a stressful, but honestly, going through that process made me realize I was, this is exactly what my job is. If you think mm-hmm. of a wedding planner, that's almost exactly what it is because to us, what a guest day in the park may be the only day in their entire lives that they may be in the park. So everything has to be perfect. Everything has to fall into line of what, of making it their big day. You know, it's like they are the bride. Um, <laughs> but if that's 365 days a year for uh, that hundreds and thousands of people across the property um, every single day. And so um, to make the guests there, you know, you just have to plan. You have to plan everything on the day of. You have to constantly talk, make sure you're aware of what's going on. If something's going wrong, if the sound system isn't working, or maybe something is running late, you have to think about what is my plan. So even before the wedding day, um, a bride typically or a groom um, also will plan months and months in advance. It takes eight months for a wedding dress to arrive. It takes um, this long to get a wedding venue. And we have to do the same things. Mm-hmm. We have to say, if I'm going to build a new ride vehicle system, it will take X amount of years to do so, this many months in production, this many months in um, going on. And so when it boils down to actually putting it in, what you're seeing is years and years and years and months and months and months of intense planning of plan A, plan B, plan C. No one likes plan B. Okay, scratch that. Let's go with plan C. Let's go with plan, um, you know, you're eventually down to schedule like Z, you know, because uh, you're, you just rework everything day after day after day. What is done? What is not done? Who do I need to bring in? And just like a wedding planner does, we at Disney will have to bring in vendors too. We have to select the right people who can do the job. Um, and that's its own process to source who is the best at what they can do, who are the best painters, who are the best um, construction workers, who are the best uh, plant people, you know, who are, the, who are the people who know this industry and there aren't that many of them available. So you always have to keep developing your relationships with those vendors as well to make sure that they are giving you what you need to give the guests the best service. That's interesting what you said about how like it's potentially with every guest, it could be the only day that they spend at this magical place of Disney World. And you have to, that's, I I mean, I love that. I love, it's like the intention that's behind it is so great. I feel like that would be really purposeful for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so you kind of boiled it down to like what it is that you're responsible for. Um, Is that different than say, like if I were to ask you, oh, Rebecca, what does a typical day look like for you? Like, um, could you get into the specifics of that? Just so maybe someone that's listening, um, that might be interested in a job like yours, like to kind of hear exactly what it's like day to day? 
Yeah, most definitely. So, um, you know, depending on where I am in a project, um, let's just say if I have multiple projects going on at once, um, I will, you know, on, on some days I'll start at a relatively normal time, like 7 or 8 a.m. And then um, some days they'll start at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. because, um, you know, at Disney World, you working at the park specifically, a lot of our work has to be done behind the scenes sure. um, while the guests aren't there. So we often have to go and check in. So let's say at 6 a.m. I'll go to uh, Animal Kingdom and I'll go walk to um, Kilimanjaro Safaris and I'll go um, take a look at the work that was done there overnight, make sure it was done well, um, talk with the field team there, talk with the contractors, take photos and make sure that we're on track and we're on schedule. Mm. And, you know, point out, pointing out if there's anything that I think will, could be better. Um, then I might drive the, right after that. I might have a 7 a.m. morning at Magic Kingdom where I go to Space Mountain and I go take a walk through the queue line all in the dark, all the way up to where they load the guests and um, have a meeting with um, my electrical engineer, with a um, the photographers with whoever I need to have um, in it uh, as a part of that and sometimes these meetings can be represent like 10 different departments at once mm -hmm. um, to say this is what we're trying to do what are your concerns and what that's what I love about Disney is everyone has a fair say if the custodial person doesn't like it um, or they have just as much a fair say as let's say the horticulture group, or let's say the engineering group, you know, um, based off of what, what's going on. Cause my, it's my job to make sure everyone's happy. And just like my wedding analogy, if, if grandma son over there isn't happy, that's, that's also as equally bad as if the bride is not happy, maybe a little bit less bad, but still pretty bad. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'll go 7am in the morning, go, go to space mountain, then I'll go back to my office, which sits right behind uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and Splash Mountain area and Frontierland. So it's a trek. You have to schedule in, you know, walking time. And while I'm doing that walking time, I might walk in the underground tunnels underneath the Magic Kingdom um, that Walt Disney had placed there. And if you didn't know, the Magic Kingdom sits actually on the second story on of it's on the second level. It's not the first level. What? The reason why it was built that way was because Walt Disney believed that in order to get, make sure the story was so real, he didn't want a cowboy walking in Tomorrowland because that would just not, that would just ruin the illusion completely of the storyline. Um, and then he didn't want, you know, trash just being carted all out through the park um, just to get to one dumpster area. He, that would be something that guests would not like. And so, he could devise this underground system that would allow um, the cast members to move from place to place to place. So um, I'm still learning how, even now till now, I'm learning all the tunnel secrets and which departments live where. So I walk through that area um, and then sometimes I'll just pop up in a place I wanted to kind of walk through in the morning. And I have to say 7 a.m. In front of Cinderella Castle at when it's dawn is probably with the music playing and everything is probably my favorite thing ever. It's it's so so beautiful and uh, it really makes you believe in magic. No, yeah, um, when yeah. you're just even the only you, person there. Even you talking about it makes me want to cry. <laughs> I don't know. Why. <laughs> it's like okay, that's so awesome. Okay, okay, sorry, I won't interrupt. So cool. This is all like so fascinating right now. <laughs> so into it. Well, I. I, I love talking about it, so it's great. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, so I'll walk back to my office. I will type up my meeting minutes notes and I'll send them out to the group to make sure that everyone is good with what we discussed. I may, if it's a Monday, I will take a look at my um, budget for um, all of my projects. So some people can have like five projects, um, five projects at once. Some people can have 15 projects at once. Um, it can really vary across the board. Um, so I'll take a look and make sure that, you know, everything is falling within the budget that I want to, that I am um, spending the amount of money that I have planned to spend because the way that Disney runs their financials is a little bit, um, you know, you, we're, we're given a budget to spend to achieve something. And if we're not achieving it, then that money could have gone out to elsewhere in the company at the same time. Mm. So it's important that not only that I don't overspend, um, I also should be spending enough at the same time to make sure every the overall budget of the company is working well. Mm, okay. um, so I'll go check on that. I might have um, more meetings. I, you know, at uh, 8 a.m. I'll have a, an emergency call that says, hey, I took a look at this and I have what you installed last night and I'm not that sure that this is going to work. Can we talk about it? So I might just walk back out to the park and talk about it some more um, and with whoever's there. Um, part of my job is a lot of it is also doing presentations to executives or presentations to my management overall to make sure that they are asked, they can see what we're achieving and are asking the right questions. Like, have you thought about this? Have you evaluated, evaluated this risk? And so I'll keep things like a risk log to say, okay, if plan A isn't working out, then I'm going to have this element. Like, let's say, for example, if I'm installing a signage and the, and the sign is taking too long, or let's just say the sign came in and our artists said, this is not what we desired at all. This is not the quality feel that Disney wants to have. Then in my risk log, I might say, hey, this could always happen. Um, I'm going to assign this dollar value to say, um, in case this happens, I have enough to cover it to make sure that the best quality and the vision gets put forward. Because what I've found in my previous life when I was not a project manager that, um, you know, no matter how well you want it, if there's not the money there to support it, then it ultimately doesn't get done. And it's up to the project manager to drive decisions and changes and plan for things like that to happen. Um, otherwise, ultimately, um, the project could fall at a lower quality than right. everyone would want. Right. And so it's always balancing that mix of schedule, cost, and quality, which is the triangle of project management. Oh man, was there more? Sorry, I, I don't want to interrupt the day. <laughs> oh no, no. So you know, um, I'll go. I'll have lunch with my coworkers in pre-COVID times. Um, sometimes you know you can go. I might go to like a resort. Like I might go to a Disney Resort and grab lunch. Um, I I would do that all the time. And FYI, the shrimp and grits at uh, um. Port Orleans um, is like the bomb. <laughs> so try that out next time. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you just go through your day. Um, I, I'm, that's just kind of the mix of items I have. It's a lot of meetings. I think one thing I never realized as a project manager is just how many meetings you're in at one time and meetings at all stages of a project. So the project can go from like blue sky to, you know, where you're just talking conceptually and you have to do all this planning to 
you know, I have a weekly meeting with my contractors to say, are we on schedule? Um, do you need direction? Do you have questions? Are, are your questions answered? And a lot of what I do is I write the scope. So I'm managing the um, everything that is being encompassed within the whole project. So all of the details, If even if I don't understand the detail, and I think that's one of the hardest part of project management is even if I don't understand what's going on, I still have to manage it and make sure that that detail gets inquired. Mm -hmm. And so um, I have to rely on all my awesome team of support to so that way they I know what they're talking about. I know how they work and how I can bring the best in my team out. So that way everyone is focused on getting the project done well. Okay, so honestly, as amazing as everything sounds, and I'm completely mind blown by all of it, like it does sound overwhelming too. But I kind of have a feeling just through the way you're talking, like, it seems as though you thrive off of this. <laughs> I, I do love projects. And you know, there's, there's so many roles at Walt Disney World that you can do. There's roles that can be very routine, like where you hit, you you come in, you do an amazing job and you leave at the same time every mm. single day. Or you, um, you know, you can be in maintenance, you can be in, um, you know, operations where, you know, you interact with the cast, with the guests all the time. I wish I got to interact with the guests more. I just get to see and benefit from their projects. But yeah. in my case, um, I think I realized very early on, like in my college years, that I love projects. Like uh, there's, I just love the flow of it because once you're done with that project, you got to move on to a new project. And that can be scary for a lot of people um, who want that continuity day in, day out, knowing what's going to come next. But I, I love meeting new people. I love trying new things. And so that's a great uh, fit um, personality-wise. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. So, um, Rebecca, could you – I'm curious to how you even got to where you are today – um, so could you even take me back to maybe like just right out of high school? Is this project managing stuff like something you always knew about and wanted to do? Or where did you start? Yeah, most definitely. So um, I actually left, entered, um, I went to Rice University in Houston, Texas. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and I thought my whole life I'd go to Georgia Tech because that's where both my parents met. Um, but I ended up at Rice University in the middle of what I call no theme park land um, because it's right between uh, Florida and California. <laughs> oh, that's a good name for it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, I actually entered school wanting to do environmental engineering. I was very invested in, um, you know, green technology, seeing what's going on. And I transferred from environmental engineering to mechanical engineering because after I sat in a few classes with environmental engineering, I realized that I wasn't as interested in water quality or air quality. And that's what a lot of the majors seem to encompass. I was interested in more developing products. And so what I, you know, when I went to mechanical engineering, you have a whole range ahead of you. You can work in toy factories, pet food factories, like basically everywhere, single place in the world needs a mechanical engineer. So I thought that would give me the breath that I needed while I was figuring out what I actually wanted to do. Um, I, I wanted to, for a while, I wanted to design sustainable products. Um, and it was a, for, and then, you know, honestly, when I first started out, I wasn't that great in mechanical engineering. It was really hard. And there was a period in my sophomore year where I 
what they call the sophomore slump where your grades move down some I, it hit me very very hard mm-hmm. and um for, for my faith um as a christian um that was a really weird period of time where i felt like my trust in god was not working and i just really turned my back on him not overtly like i still went to church and did you know churchy things but in my heart i was bitter towards god i'm like why did you put me in a major that I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm not even good at, and I have no direction. Mm. Um, And so that was a huge process in my own faith of growing from God really disciplining me and telling me, you need to trust me no matter what is going on. And so that was a crazy period. Um, Coming into my junior year, I, my, my family and I went to Disney world where my cousin was working and he told me about this, you know, competition where you could practice and try to create an attraction um and so it was called the disney imaginations competition and i had never heard of it i we're on this back while we were there we were on a tour doing back behind the scenes and everything and i looked around and I'm like this is kind of cool maybe i could do something like this so i i did this competition and i brought in a friend who was an architect who was an artist and another mechanical engineer and we basically designed um, just on paper, like a, a concert hall venue in Argentina in Buenos Aires um, that would play, that would work with the, um, that have attractions that would focus on music and bring you into this concert hall at night. And it was so cute. The artist was so well, well, she draws so well and made all these really cute Disney-like characters for this attraction. And as we were working through everything, I found, you know, me and the other mechanical engineer would argue deep into the hours of the night of how exactly this one mechanism that we weren't even going to show very much, like, would would work flow-wise and stay up to like 4 a.m. working on formatting and things like this. As I was doing that project, I realized there is nothing else that I would rather be sacrificing like my sanity and my sleep to be doing like this is this was it and um I I was lucky enough that my dad also loves theme parks growing up so he took me to Six Flags over Georgia a ton when I was little um he took us to Disney World once or twice um when growing up because he he loves the parks which isn't as typical for Asian dads um you know but he you know when I was born he said I can't wait till she can play video games mow the lawn and ride roller coasters. Yes, yes, I love it. (laughs) We did all three of those things. But um, yes, so um, once I got into that competition, we we got to the semifinals and the, uh, we didn't get to the finals, but if you do get into the finals, the prize for that competition isn't even something super substantial. It's an opportunity to interview, not just not just receive it, but it's an opportunity just to interview for an internship with Walt Disney Imagineering. Oh and my, so, like, that's not even like the, like, doesn't sound like, you know, a present with a big bow on it at the end. It's just, maybe you could work for Disney. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it, exactly, exactly. Um, and, you know, like, it's, um, we, we didn't get all the way up there, but um, I did that in my junior year, and I also did that in my senior year. And wow. both times, it just really solidified for me that this was what I wanted to do. And, and funny enough, um, a couple years ago, 
I um, had an opportunity to sit with um, Ed Fritz, who's the, um, you know, he's the ride uh, executive over at Walt Disney Imagineering here in Florida. And he remembered one of my presentations because I brought it as part of like my, my talk just to show off. And he was like, oh, I remember this one. And it really like was like, oh my gosh. That's like, crazy. <laughs> you reviewed my thing and it's just very full circle came around. Yes, um, yes. Does that the, contest still exist? The contest still exists and they do it every year. And I always recommend anyone who wants to see if they want to work in the industry, try it out because it's it will test you and make you really develop your skill sets and learning to work with artists and different styles of people. And really um, what, what I call themed entertainment is about is a triad, in my opinion, of uh, science, of like technology, art, and hospitality. Mm-hmm. So for me, I never found myself as like a super hard engineer where I was going to design cars or um, like giant pieces of equipment. Like I liked things that, you know, I felt were more me-sized, maybe, (laughs) Um, you know, not necessarily the size of a plane or um, giant or giant buildings. Um, I really found this niche because, you know, my my parents were very hospitality um, driven, you know, just really teaching me how to welcome people into our house and how to treat people in general. Um, and also like having a bit of an artistic streak. So, you know, even though I wasn't fully engineered, like being able to meet like technology, art and hospitality, which is a boom, that's like the perfect mix of things that I want to dedicate my life towards. I mean, I'm really um, intrigued by everything you're saying right now, because I feel like there could be people listening that maybe feel very similar, similarly. However, had no idea that this could be an outlet for them, like theme park planner or even just working with theme parks. Um, because for me, I don't, again, I, I, Rebecca, I genuinely say this on most all of my interviews is like, you know, other than what's in front of me, I don't really think about how things work outside of that or like, the jobs that are needed to make my life better, you know, (laughs) like, and it's so fascinating to me that, yeah, like, the three, those three things can truly come together, and it can be applicable in a place like this, and that is so cool, that's so cool, um, so, I mean, you know, you kind of made it sound like after the contest, like, you know, that's kind of the prize you get, you have the opportunity to interview with Disney. Um, So does that mean it is difficult to get a job with Disney? (laughs) I would definitely say, say it is, you know, it's, it's one, it's, it's a small industry. And I think that anyone who's looking to come into it, you know, um, what I did was I started with a vendor. And so, you know, after I did the competition, I was, you know, I was a senior in college and I was just kind of like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to maybe try this out and still kind of like a pipe dream, not really seeing it. But what I did was I went to, um, actually got a scholarship to a conference called SATE. It's run by the Theme Entertainment Association. And um, I was just told about it by- Theme Entertainment Association? Yes, there's a Theme Entertainment Association that is made up of all of these companies that 
um, do this sort of work. So what? not only Disney or Universal, but that's so cool. <laughs> like roller coaster people, like pinball people, like uh, people who run businesses where you jump off of a plane. You know, that's um, crazy. Okay, okay. So you got an internship with that, or what did you say? A scholarship? You said? Oh, I, I got a scholarship to attend a conference, and okay. that was something I never would have done because you know, as a as a college student, you're just trying not to spend a lot of money, um, and really like. It was really, really fortuitous um, of the timing. So I went to this conference, met a ton of people, met some people who I'm still great friends with now. Um, and I was like, I love this. Now what's next? Um, so while I was at that conference, I they have mixers. So it's very important to network within this sort of industry, especially small industries in general. Um, I, they had a mixer where you could sing karaoke. So I sang, where's the love? by Black Eyed Peas and rapped in front of all of my future employers. <laughs> That's crazy. You're so bold. <laughs> and I was like, oh gosh. But um, there's a photo taken of me that was posted on like the event website and all my college friends saw it and gave it likes, which honestly wasn't a lot. It was only like 22 likes or something like that. And whoever was running the site, they saw like the uptick in traffic and they were like, oh, maybe this girl can do something for this industry or maybe she's influential in some way. So they offered me an opportunity to go to a second um, conference in Orlando um, as a journalist just for that event as a part of their press team. It was for a theme, um, themed entertainment magazine called Impark Magazine. And so I got to go around. Um, I the, the relationships that met from the people at the first conference, like for example, uh, Steve Burkett, who was the president of the um, international president of the TEA at the time, he was so kind. And since I met him at the first conference, he took me on that second conference and walked me around to every single manu roller coaster manufacturer that he was going to talk to at the time. He said, Rebecca, you're mechanical engineering, come walk with me. And he introduced me like as a prize, as someone who was what, who had no experience in the industry, who wasn't even out of college yet, saying, you better snatch her up while you still can um, to all of these different companies. And wow. I will never forget that. That was such such a kindness that he brought into my spirit at the time. Um, and so going to that con second conference, like I received, I remember receiving a job offer for a different company while uh, on the trade floor. And this trade show is one of the coolest you'll ever see. You'll see like, there's inflatables, there's rides, there's so you basically spend the whole show riding rides and eating like popcorn. <laughs> and, and, you know, playing arcade games, which is, which is really, really fun. And so I remember receiving that call for a full-time job at a company I really, really liked and I had interviewed for and was like, I'm so sorry, you do a great job at what you do. I just have found what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And at that moment, it became real. Like the second that I started rejecting actual real life job offers for this pipe dream was when it hit me that this is possible, you know? That's crazy. That is insane. Okay. So like you start being, you know, the number one pick for all these companies, Rebecca, which is insane. And I mean, you're right out of college and, or were you still in college? I'm still in college. I'm in my uh, senior year of, um, of college and so I, I leave this expo, right? And I email everyone I possibly can and I hear nothing. I hear nothing for months and months and months. And I, I'm still oh, sorry, applying for- Can I interrupt for... you just really quick? Oh. So you said this um, 
pipe dream that you had. But like, uh, could you clarify just for me, like, you wanted this specific job of theme park planner, or you just wanted to be in the Disney like industry? I was looking to be in the industry in any way, but as a mechanical engineer, I was looking specifically to be a ride engineer at the time. Okay, okay. Which so, is um, crazy. So That's crazy. I started, I know that, right? I'm currently in product management, but I started my life in engineering. Okay, okay, okay. Um, okay, sorry. Yeah, so I, continue, okay. continue. <laughs> <laughs> so I come back from this expo and I, I sent out like, like, about a hundred emails just to all these different people and I hear nothing which you know is is scary because I've I'm still looking at jobs and I'm still turning down jobs even though I'm still interviewing and applying for them and this whole year is a total flip from my sophomore year where I was just my heart was heavy it was bitter because I was like God doesn't know what he's doing in my life and so why should I trust him um this year even though it was so unstable I was like you know, God, I've already learned this lesson. You've, you've put such peace on my heart, like that I'm, I'll continue like Paul doing what I think is right until you change the course some, somehow. And so I'm just continuing on and I don't hear anything. And one day I'm, I'm like, okay, God, this is right about the time where I need you to give me some answers. If, if, if that be your will, if you don't, that's cool. I'm at peace. Hmm. Um, which was, was a huge point in my spiritual journey, but sure, yeah. literally the next, Monday of that weekend, after I attended a job fair and applied to a bunch of places, I get three responses back from companies saying, hey, let's talk more. And I'm like, wow, like, if that's not a sign, what is? <laughs> right. Yeah, of course. Of course. And so, um, you know, I going through all that process and I, I didn't receive a job offer in the industry till my very last day of class in April. Of my senior year in college but even and, that is like pretty good like <laughs> yeah there's was, a lot of people that graduate with no plans so. that's, that's true so I was very very lucky to get so and but they were like oh it's an internship mm. you know and I'm like okay well I'm willing to do whatever it takes so let's go mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and literally the next day I get a call from a product design company up in Michigan that's like um, you're going to do awesome things. Here's your salary. Here's your moving bonus. Here's your signing bonus. I'm like, Ooh, like I already took a job offer. They're like, you're our first pick who like, what can we do to match it? I'm like, ah, it's a, you know, like 10 to $15 an hour internship. And they were like, that's risky and hung up. And I can honestly say that if it happened the flip way around where I got that first offer first, then the internship, I don't think I would have had the guts to, turn it down so like it was really weird and cool how that happened so I went down to Orlando for this internship that I didn't know if it would net a full-time job or not um I went with Oceanary Entertainment Systems which is a ride vehicle manufacturing they specialize in trackless vehicle systems and have done rides like Transformers, Spider-Man, um a lot of Universal rides and a lot of Disney stuff as well um so I, I, that's how I ended up in Orlando. <laughs> that's crazy. Okay. So like, did you, how long was the internship? The internship was three months. So um, yeah, it's just three months for me to spend time. And during that internship, I had the opportunity to work with, um, on the King Kong ride at Universal uh, Orlando. Oh, and, um, nice. That was I've, a 
really cool experience. Yeah, I don't I don't know that ride because I actually because you know Universal is a lot of um like virtual stuff, mm-hmm. you know? and so like I get really motion sick. So <laughs> it's not very like Blair friendly for me, but um, I've heard about the ride itself. That's really neat. Um, and what like how did you contribute or how are you involved in that one? Yeah, so um, I, I worked on the ride vehicle system overall. At the time, a lot of the design was already done, but they were like in production and getting things testing. So, you know, during the testing phase for my internship, we would do things like my the first week, my boss said design a system that allows this vehicle to stop if it runs into something. And I'm like, okay, I will try. <laughs> and, and because, you know, when you're at that point in the project, it's like, go, go, go. Everyone counts. Every person can make a difference. It really depends on the company. Some internships, you'll get to a place where, you know, not, no one's giving you a lot. But at that point in that, on that project, it was all hands on deck. Like you are doing everything you can to get this project moving forward. And so you got to wear a ton of hats at all at the same time. That's, that's insane. So like, did you feel like... Um in the three months that you were interning there, um, that you, like, uh, was it everything you had thought it would be, it was going to be? You know how they tell you that you're never going to use anything you learn in school yes. um, in the real world? Um, that was like the exact opposite. I was like, I should have paid attention in like <laughs> hydraulics class. I should have paid attention in vibrations. What was I doing? Like, I need to learn how to code better because I obviously didn't know how to code or use um, our 3D modeling program was um, SolidWorks. Uh-huh. Um, and that's pretty typical in the industries use SolidWorks for 3D modeling and then AutoCAD for 2D modeling. Okay, I know um, what AutoCAD is, but 3D, uh, SolidWorks, is that just another programming it, it, It's another... Um, graphics program that allows you to it's like SketchUp but a little bit more intense I see okay okay and no it's just my my husband's a structural engineer and he always says like man if I could just if I had just worked for a year as a structural and then went back to school I think I would have paid more attention in school knowing that this is what you learn or what you need to know as a structural engineer (laughs) So it's, so, so I true. hear you. I hear what you're saying. But yeah, so um, I, you know, just I, I did use a, like a lot of the schooling that I I wish I learned in in the role. And so throughout that internship, they just bombarded me with a lot of projects. I did a lot of design work. So design work being specifically um, making this 3D model, like um, making sure everything's fitting, everything works well. I have to go look at data sheets of parts that I'm going to buy off the shelf. Um, similarly to, you know, if you're going to be, I don't know, like installing a shower head on or change a faucet in your kitchen, you need to see what the specs are on, on this piece and make sure it fits properly into mm-hmm. the system. So doing a lot of that with mechanical components um, overall. Um, so putting it into a SolidWorks model, and then I had a really great mentor who was just really teaching me how to make a correct drawing, like a manufacturing drawing. And mm. I, I made so many mistakes, but it was crazy that I was putting things on a drawing and some pe- it would get checked by some people, but then it would just go into production. And I remember holding like my first metal piece and what that piece was, was what the um, 
operators used to open and close the door system. So it was meant to hold RFID readers that, you know, if to open, they'd click up here to, to close, it'd be down here. And it had to be, you know, from an ergonomic perspective, 36 inches up from the floor for the lower one, then 48 inches up for the next one. And so I remember holding that bracket in my hand being like, this is my first baby. <laughs> that is so cool. Man, that's cool. Um, yeah, I'm sure it felt like so rewarding. I mean, to some people, it might like not be as rewarding but I feel like if it were me definitely I would have been like this is it I did it I've made it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but that was just the beginning for you it seems so after the internship like did you continue to work there or what happened next yeah I, I continued to work at Oceaneering for three years after my internship um funnily enough I met my husband while working on that uh ride vehicle system. So if you look at the King Kong vehicle, there's like a wooden crate looking thing on top. And that's a show lighting box that um, only me and my husband worked on when it got installed. Oh my gosh, that's so sweet, Rebecca. (laughs) That was like, I'm like, I want to like take the drawing that we made and frame it and put it in our house somewhere. You should. should. I mean, like you guys, if you ever go to Universal and now you see it, you're going to know that this person and her husband created this that's awesome <laughs> like you did you guys like go take a picture with it and stuff I would have <laughs> we still need to he he hasn't read all of the Harry Potter books or watched all the movies yet, oh no so okay then don't go yet go. don't go yeah. yet until he's done all that <laughs> exactly because I love Harry Potter world and um he needs to see it with justify eyes yes absolutely agreed that's so funny though <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you met your husband. That's what, how awesome. So you guys are in the same industry. We are, he, he's an electrical designer. So, um, you know, we, th- this industry really requires you to work very hard, you know, depending on where you're at. And so we found ourselves like working late um, a couple of times and he decided to, on my birthday, ask me out. And that happened to be the one day I was leaving early. So he ended up having just to text it to me being like, hey, like, want to get dinner for your birthday or something and that was our first date (laughs) so sweet I love it (laughs) okay so um you continue to work there does he so you guys are working together at this point at the same company we're working together at the same point at the same company we're not typically on the same projects and you know after time after King Kong went through um I delved a little bit into what I call show programming um and show programming is essentially you know, if mechanical engineering is building it to move, show programming is um, the choreographer for the dance, Ooh. in a sense. So it's making it move, the so vehicle. So like, is that coding? What is that? It, it's a lot of coding um, involved. So it is computer, very computer science-based, um, also a little bit graphics-based. So you're um, taking curves that, because we specialize in trackless vehicle systems. So essentially this vehicle would go anywhere because there's no track needed. Sure, sure. Um, and so making sure that as the vehicle moves along, um, it's hitting the right acceleration points or spinning at this point in time and not overworking the system. And also making show programming is what you feel as a guest when you ride the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, once if you go and you, um, like if you stop suddenly, 
that, you know, what does the guest feel when you do that? Or if you want the guest to feel that same sensation, do you tilt up or do you tilt down? Like which which way do you go? And I think um, and don't I I don't recall too much from those days, but I believe that if you tilt um, up, that makes the guest feel like you're stopping a little bit more quickly. So it's all about reaching guest emotions um, through mechanics and movement, I guess. You know, I mean, like, so what comes to mind for me when you're talking about that is just because I've re you know we recently went to Disney World, um, is like even just like the Frozen ride and my daughter rode Ariel like Little Mermaid like literally 20 times but like you know I just as a grown-up you know I realized watching my children that at certain times like and movements like you know when you they're part of the ride where you like kind of look up to like at the screens mm -hmm. up to and it makes you it does it makes you feel a certain way it makes like you're makes you feel like you're swimming with Ariel a little bit um is that kind of what you're talking about a little bit, yeah. And so that's like how fast the vehicle's moving or how like how it's turning. And I think a really good example is um, Luigi's Rollick and Roadsters, which we were working on at the time um, over in Disneyland, California. And essentially what that is, is a bunch of ride vehicles, little uh, from Cars Land, a little cars that are like doing a yes, dance yes, with each other. Yes, I wrote that. I wrote that. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's so fun. And, you know, when the cars spin together, everyone goes, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so I was working on some of the, um, just some of the preliminary routes that those cars were going on at that time. I frame. see, okay. And making sure that, you know, they weren't colliding because there's so many of them. And from since safety's first, we put a bubble around them to say, hey, like, is this a vehicle? If, if something happens, like if a wheel locks up or if you have to brake suddenly, you obviously don't want one car crashing into the other car sure. when you have so many around. So it's very meticulously designed to make sure that if anything happens, everyone's still okay and and in a safe mode. Okay, that makes um, more sense. My my example was not correct. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, the, I, I see. So that kind of choreography is what you're talking about. It, exactly. And it can range to something as like loose as that to, you know, um, to, to your point, like what does um, show programming does include like on, on roller coaster systems or um, normal track dark ride vehicles that are on a track too, because those still have their own feeling overall, depending on how fast you're going, how you're, how you're turning around. And so, so it's sorry, just Rebecca. making the vehicle move. Now, now it's clicking. I'm just slow because like you said trackless and that makes more sense that you would have to program this kind of vehicle because it has nowhere to go yeah it, it, exactly you okay. don't know where it's going to go and another great example is um mickey and minnie's runaway railway over at disney's hollywood studios um which you know you're you're just going throughout and you break you're in a train set and then each little individual car breaks up and does different things goes into different rooms and comes back in mm, i didn't get to write that one i have to go no, back it will be next time blair it's a good one i think your kids will like it <laughs> yeah sounds like a fun one man okay this is like i am mind blown Rebecca you are brilliant like I feel like so are you so you are more engineer minded then would you that, say that is correct okay, um, okay. I, I did three years at oceaneering doing pure design engineering and working on awesome vehicles you know um working I'm more engineer minded and then I switched to the theme park um, project manager role a little bit more and you know like part of oceaneering life I did continue to work on um 
like the Spider-Man and the Transformers vehicles at Universal Studios and understanding the manufacturing progress on the cabin. So how the lap bar systems, how the seats, how the fiberglass, what you see, like the colored part of the vehicle works together. And what I was realizing as I was going through that process was, you know, what I I'm don't have a lot of manufacturing knowledge. And what that means is I can make a part on paper and say, go and build it. And what I don't know is this part can cost $200 or $2,000. I see. You know, like, Mm -hmm. so there's an impact to the overall project that I wasn't seeing in my current position. Mm -hmm. So I got a call from um, Disney, um, just a a headhunter and just said, hey, are you interested in a position working at our manufacturing warehouse as a contractor? And I'm like, you know what, one, I need to, you know, my plan coming to Orlando was always trying a vendor and trying a park and seeing which one I like better. Um, And plus, I don't know that much about manufacturing and I want to know about manufacturing because that's ultimately how my parts are going to be made. So I took, I I left Oceaneering after three years, wonderful team, still love all the people there um, and went to Disney Central Shops, which is their manufacturing facility. So that put me a little bit more into both an engineering mindset and a planning project manager mindset because I entered there as a role of a planner. I see. I see. Man, that is insane. So um, you went into the manufacturing side to learn a little bit more and gain some more knowledge. And how long were you there? I was there for about a year as a contractor. Um, What does that mean? Okay. And so what that means is I don't, I wasn't actually a Disney employee. So it was, you know, it was a little bit of a risk still, but my previous risks had paid off. So I continued taking them. Um, I, it meant that I didn't have any benefits through Disney. It meant that I didn't get Disney perks, but, and I got paid the hours I worked. So no vacation or no sick time. I see. Um, I see. So you weren't on like a staff then, or like you weren't officially Correct. I wasn't officially Disney, but that was part of my overall plan because Disney typically is, it's like you said before, it's very hard to get into Disney or some of these parks um, just cold off the street. So the ways that you typically go in are internships or contractors. And Mm. since I was past the internship age, a contractor is Disney's way of being able to test you out and saying, are you a good fit for this company and for this sort of role? Cool. Okay. So after, um, so did you so at your um, contracting position, do you feel like you did gain some more knowledge on this area that you were unfamiliar with before as an engineer? Oh, it was the best, Blair. I l- <laughs> let me tell you, Central Shops love it. is the coolest building in the world. I, I personally think it's cooler. Like, I mean, the castle is awesome, but what goes on inside Central Shops is pure magic. Okay, um, you have to tell me. You can't lead with that <laughs> and end there. <laughs> so the reason why Central Shops exists in the first place is because Walt Disney said, hey, we need people, like skilled people, trades people who can continue to bring the magic because if we don't do this, then like we can't keep the park up. And if we can't build things or fix things ourselves, then we're always going to be reliant on other people. And so Central Shops is born, which is a building where um, all of these welders, machinists, painters, um, um, fabricators, scenic people, um, people who work on the animatron- uh, 
animatronic systems and the robotic figures all work in one building together. It's oh, wow. amazing. And so if you walk through it, you see ride vehicles from every part of the park, from every, all four parks. You see things from Expedition Everest. You see Seven Dwarves Mine Train vehicles. You see um, props. You see fast pass signs. signs. You see, you know, um, new attraction things that, you know, you can't talk about because they're, they're there. And so, for example, like when uh, Rise of the Resistance was coming out, like you would go in and you'd see all these stormtroopers just standing around. So cool. <laughs> it was just so, so amazing um, to, you know, like, so these people were called the can-do people and they can literally do anything and everything that the park needs them to do. That's amazing. That is so, I mean, like, is this a big group of people that work here? It's it's a fairly large group of people, you know, like because you have to have someone in every single trade sure. and multiple shifts. Um, and it's just it's a building on Disney property that you wouldn't glance twice at. And it holds the key to all these attractions, which I, I love. Amazing, amazing. So how did what what were what happened after the year, after your year of contracting? Yeah, so I was doing this year of contracting. I became very good friends with everyone in the office. Um, and I, you know, throughout, one, one thing I do think that's very important is you go around and do one-on-ones. And I don't think it's just important for Disney. I think in any industry you're going to do, you should make it a goal to network and talk one-on-one with people as much as possible in your early years. And so I was doing one-on-ones across property to get to know the different departments, to get to know hiring managers, to get to understand what roles were available for me here at Disney mm-hmm. if I just think, if I wasn't able to get one at Central Shops. And um, I interviewed with the ride and show engineering team. I interviewed with Walt Disney World Imagineering um, with, um, and then I interviewed at this group called FAM, which is the Facilities Asset Management Group and is that project management arm of Disney. And a lot of most people there are civil engineers, mechanical engineers, um, and have technical backgrounds Mm -hmm. across the board. Mm -hmm. So um, I interviewed there and my my dad actually is a project manager himself. So growing up, it felt very, he would bring home like case studies saying like, I'm trying to get this guy to do this. What do you think I should do? Um, How do you think I should approach this problem? How do you think I should format this PowerPoint to make it look like make my point come across a little bit better. So he was great at including us in his work um, on a daily basis, just not just at the little things and that those skill sets kind of carried over. Um, I really admire my dad a lot. Mm-hmm. And he um, being, being both theme parks and really set me up for what a project management role would look like. So in the long run, even though I was an engineer, I knew that I would want to do project management at the no, whether it was like now or in 10 years, I've always felt that that was my long run because I love that sort of work overall. So when I interviewed with FAM, I was like, this could be now. And I love my everyone who I interviewed with. And when the position came, I'm like, all right, it's time to try a new chapter. And construction, I knew nothing about. There's a lot of construction <laughs> that goes on in this group. I didn't even know what a stud was in the wall. Um, sure. Yeah, not a lot of people would. I feel like unless you're unless your husband's a structural engineer. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And so, um, so that's how I've ended up in my current department doing what I do. That is amazing. I mean, I love that piece about your dad 
being a project manager and then it coming around truly full circle and it's you didn't even do it on purpose I feel like I know um, he's 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 so jealous. I, I feel like I'm living his dream life if he was younger. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, you're living a lot of our dream lives, honestly, if I'm for real right now. <laughs> wow, Rebecca. I mean, that is truly um, an amazing uh, journey. I feel like, you know, and I loved how you were transparent and vulnerable with me tonight about just even the parts in the beginning where you were like doubting everything and like why is this happening um am I gonna get a job is this really the path I'm gonna go down I want to but doesn't seem like things are working out I mean all of it I think it's um so inspiring at least for me tonight and um I am as I'm hearing your story I'm just like oh it is possible like to truly have a dream and make it happen um so it's really cool. Thank you so much, Rebecca. No, it's I it's I love talking and sharing this story because honestly, like I I'm I'm so lucky to work at a place where magic actually happens yes. all, all the time. <laughs> um okay, so just a behind the scenes question. So like what are the perks and benefits for working for Disney? Are you allowed to share those with me? <laughs> Yeah, I can most definitely show you what those perks are. So um, um, depending on you, if you're an hourly or a salary position, they can vary, but um, I can essentially bring three people who I know and trust um, into the park every day that they let me, honestly. That's um, crazy. That's a great perk. <laughs> it's a fantastic perk. And I my, my family has used it on more than one occasion. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> as they should. Um, and so, you know, you get some discounts on merchandise, on um, on food and things like that. They are, I think Disney is overall really, really good uh -huh. to their to their employees. You know, they they give you like these statues for like your five year and 10 year, all the way up to like, you know, 40. There are people who have been at this company for like 45, 50 years. <gasps> So like really this anniversary celebration for these kinds of people mean like everything probably. That's you have people who have opened Epcot, who have opened Hollywood <gasps> Studios, who have opened Animal Kingdom day one and whose kids they brought to those openings who are now also working for the company. Um, I'm obsessed with like that kind of history kind of stuff. Like I love that kind of stuff, like heritage and like history that's already built into your family. Like I love it. <laughs> um, it's, it's so you can really tell that, you know, people love the company and people love the ultimate product. I think what I love about Disney is not only do they give you these external perks, but they're very good at training leaders of tomorrow. Yeah, um, they're very that. good at mentoring overall. And, you know, they, there's a place for everyone. I think when I think of what a utopia might look like, um, I do think of the Disney World family because, you know, it is a city in itself and everyone plays such an important part. You know, there's, everyone is important and this can be achieve their dream in their own way. You know, like even if you do, if you do an hourly position, you can go to a college completely for free wow. and you don't even have to complete the degree. They will pay for your schooling. That's crazy. I didn't know And it doesn't have to relate that. to what you're doing either. You could be an operations person or in custodial and they will pay for your nursing degree. 
That is things incredible. like that. I mean, um, and to think, you know, like this is what Walt Disney wanted, you know, to create this kind of place and atmosphere for people and to inspire them, just like he was inspired to build this place, you know, this magical place. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have to ask you, because I ask all my guests, um, what do you like least about your job? I probably enjoy least the early like third shift layovers that you have to do because it's a very fluid company. So for example, I at 3 a.m. Um, so the the technicians have to they start cycling the vehicles at like four or five a.m. in the morning. Oh, so that way that. they can get ready for the day because they have to reach a certain number of laps before they can open up to guests and feel safe. And so we, if we want to be on the track and up on the mountain, so it's a literally hiking, even though I didn't hike during the pandemic elsewhere, I hiked Big Thunder Mountain a lot (laughs) (laughs) Um, on foot. So, you know, lots, lots, lots and lots of steps. Um, So we're out there at 3am and that's probably the hardest part because then you're expected to be up and still doing work, like during some part of the day shift as well. But sometimes yeah. there's perks to that too. Like one time we were out there at 2 a.m. and we saw a shooting star from while we in the middle of our meeting, which was like really, really cool and really magical. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Okay, and, so I feel like you already mentioned some things, but now what do you what do you like like the most about your job? What do you love about your job? I love I love what the product is. So mm-hmm. I think for me seeing how guests really internalize these stories because for me coming to Walt Disney World isn't just about having a great day and having a luxury fun if it was just something that I felt was a luxury I would want to do something more in life and bring that product to the world Mm -hmm. but what I feel is you know the stories that stories like we've seen in so many instances change people's lives Mm -hmm. they make when people come to Walt Disney World they hear about America's history. They hear about the story of a princess who braved, um, you know, um, the Huns. They have, they hear a story of um, how to better take care of the land around us. I think when people come or how to, you know, be the magic of animals and the, the animal kingdom, I think that when people come to Walt Disney World, they leave with the stories that we tell as better friends, as better brothers, as better mothers and children, better um, sisters, you know, better students, better teachers. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a story that we can tell for all ages, which was not always the case in the theme entertainment world. Um, and I think when people leave Walt Disney World, they leave with a reason of why, why do we live and how do we treat other people and what do we want for this world? Like you are inspired to be better than who you are. And I think that's my favorite thing about working for Walt Disney World is working behind the scenes in just very small ways that build on each other to enact that change in people's hearts and their behaviors when they go home. Rebecca, that is so like, like, okay, I know it's kind of, it's very deep. And as you're talking about it, um, so it's going to sound a little bit crazy, okay? Don't judge me. Um, but, but, you know, I keep telling people after we went to Disney um, in April and I came back, 
uh, I really felt rejuvenated, like as a person, as a mom. And I really felt like God spoke to me a lot while I was at Disney. Like I had a lot of revelation, like personal revelation. And it's interesting, everything that you just said, because I just feel like, yeah, that was me. Like this past April, like I feel like my experience there truly inspired me when I came home. And I don't even know what it was. It could have been like, I mean, the parks, yes, but I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with my family time. But then even just the family time we had was extremely enjoyable due to the atmosphere of the park itself. And I want to say thank you. (laughs) I love that so much. That is so like, I mean, hearing you as a guest who recently went and you came back from what we what we designed and the way we put it together where you know, that's just really like amazing. That's so, um, I guess, just what a gift. So much fruit that has been born that we don't get to see when people go home. No, yeah, absolutely. And I and I don't want to miss opportunity opportunity to say that to you because, I mean, like you can ask all my friends, like they will tell you, yeah, Blair keeps saying that when she came back in April, like she's she feels different. And I and I truly do. Like I felt different. I was like, I know it sounds crazy, like that I had some spiritual experience while I was at Disney World, but 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 really, like I think just like the everything was just so great and in all aspects. So and I know that your team had a lot to do with that. So it means even more to me that you came on today to chat with me about your job. I I so I so appreciate it and hearing like I don't know I I I love it seeing people happy and the fact that you felt happy as a mom of two um like what I hope that like it was not just you know running from here and here but you were able you yourself like were able to feel the magic too because it's for everyone yes it was so great um well Rebecca before we end our time today thank you so much again um one last thing do you have any advice for somebody that you know listening to this is thinking wow like this might be an avenue I want to take just going into theme parks and uh, making you know roller coasters and being part of that experience do you have any advice for somebody like that yeah, um, for people who are interested in this industry, you know, one, um, do your research. So that's the awesome thing about the internet is you can get acquainted with everything that's going on from afar, even if you're not there. And that will help you see what's going on and kind of see the trajectory of the industry overall. And two, um, I think everyone at heart is a creator. So you're a creator, if you're an artist, if you're an engineer, um, if you are someone who like we we as a company want to see people make things happen like in their own lives outside of school with no one telling them to do so. So if you have something that you're proud of and skills that you want to develop, um, do something. Make a rope, build a robot, build, uh, fix up your mom's kitchen, like fi- do um, something that you love that other people can enjoy and take a photo of it and put it on a website like that that will make you stand out more than anything else because you did it on your own time without anyone telling you to and that's the true spirit of people like that any company will be looking for but especially this company oh wow that's great that's really good advice and like extremely like actionable I love it that was really good um um, well, again, Rebecca, I, I appreciate everything that you said today. Um, I know you're a busy woman, but I'm 
wondering if if there's anybody that has maybe more questions or is a little bit more interested, would you be okay with me connecting them with you maybe through email? I would absolutely be okay with that. I love speaking to students, people my own age, people older than me who love what this what this is. And I can, as you can tell, talk about this all day. So <laughs> I have more than enough love to share about how to enter the industry and what um, my more of what I've already spoken about. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rebecca. All right, guys, if you liked what you heard today, feel free to reach out and DM me. Um, I can connect you to somebody that knows what she's doing. So uh, you can um, email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. Bye.